0: Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson,
1: and I'm Olivia Snudden. We are back with a book review. Book review number five of the year, Rob.
0: I think. It sounds right, yeah,
1: yeah. Which is uh, as many as we did collectively in 2017. This week, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we are uh, reviewing a book by a hometown boy, David Mamet. Um, I I I I'd known the name. Probably not for the same reasons that you would think I did, um, but I, I was not aware that he was responsible for like Hannibal, the the movie, and uh, what was the other one? the The Untouchables.
0: Yeah, untouchables. I didn't know that about. Him. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I did. I actually didn't know a lot about his uh, his fiction work, to be honest.
0: Oh, yeah. I was gonna say, did you know him as a playwright? I did not.
1: Oh, I actually yeah. knew him. He made a lot of waves. Some time ago, um, for um, uh, becoming a, a Republican from being a Democrat, huh? Like, he was he was pretty outspoken, um, opponent of uh, Barack Obama's and had kind of given up the, the liberal thing uh, oh, for the conservative thing, yeah, yeah. He's like a super Jewish guy. Like, if you ever watch or read an interview <laughs> with him, like, it always comes <laughs> up that he's Jewish and he talks about it a lot, and uh. Yeah, so I I know him a, a lot from that, and I knew that he had did that Glengarry Glenn Ross, but I, I'd never right. seen it. I know it's a big deal. I, I don't <laughs> even know what it's about.
0: Coffee's for closers, buddy.
1: <sighs> okay, I'm guessing that's a quote from Glengarry Glen Ross? Is yeah, that... I
0: think so. It's been a long time since I've seen it.
1: Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so he wrote a book called Chicago, which takes place in Chicago. <laughs> Um, I guess Rob, I I feel like I already did part of his bio, but I guess you could go ahead and do <laughs> the the one that actually appears on. Uh, I'm guessing on Amazon.
0: This is uh, David Mamet's, uh Amazon bio, which then when we get into the synopsis, you'll notice that the bio just kind of continues. But this is this is the bio part of it. David Mamet, one of the most extraordinary writers in contemporary American literature, has written 23 plays, eight collections of essays, two novels, five children's books two books of poetry, and 18 films, including The Verdict and Wag the Dog, for which he received Academy Award nominations. S- this is a weird This is weird part of the, the bio, because this has nothing to do with what we're reading. Uh, State in Maine is his seventh feature as a writer-director. After House of Games, Things Change, Homicide, Oleana, The Spanish Prisoner, and The Winslow Boy. Mamet has received numerous awards, including... A freaking Pulitzer Prize in 1984 for Glenn Gary Glen Ross.
1: That was uh, that was a lot of stuff. There. I,
0: added, I added the freaking part.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, although after reading this book, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he added it himself. Yeah. In in his bio, so here is the uh, lengthy synopsis for uh, for this book. A big-shouldered, big-trouble thriller set in mobbed-up 1920 Chicago, a city where some people knew too much and where everyone should have known better, by the Oscar-nominated screenwriter of The Untouchables and Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright of Glengarry Glen Ross. Mike Hodge, veteran of the Great War, big shot of the Chicago Tribune, medium fry, probably shouldn't have fallen in love with Annie Walsh. Then again, maybe the man who killed Annie Walsh should have known better than to trifle with Mike Hodge. In Chicago, David Mamet has created a bracing kaleidoscopic page turner that roars through the windy city's underground on its way to a thunderclap of a conclusion. Here is not only his first novel in more than two decades, but the book he has been building to for his whole career, mixing some of his most brilliant fictional creations with actual figures of the era. suffused? Suffused, 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 really suffused, suffused with trademark Mamet speak. Richness of voice, pace, and brio, and exploring as no other writer can. Questions of honor, deceit, revenge, and devotion. Chicago is the rarest of literary creations. A book that combines spectacular elegance of craft with a kinetic wallop as fierce as the February wind gusting off Lake Michigan.
0: I'm tired, and I wasn't even reading that.
1: Oh my gee, that was terrible. <laughs> um,
0: um, I want a further record. In the second paragraph, first of all the the fact that there's multiple paragraphs um where it says the man who killed Annie Walsh should have known better um I added the word should so there was a typo in the in the synopsis, but um I didn't want to screw you up so i, I gotcha. added i added should i, I appreciate you proofreading the, <laughs> the synopsis you know pulitzers uh <laughs>
1: Yeah, I get the feeling he probably did not write uh, write that himself. Just a guess. Uh, when you get to be that guy when you're Pulitzer man, prize man. um winner, you don't uh you don't write your own uh your own synopsis. You I think some, I don't know. I'm not a Pulitzer prize winner. I still have to write my own synopsis all the time.
0: Well, whoever wrote this really dressed it up. Think they, they got out like their Sunday best.
1: Who sent us this book?
0: Um William Morrow. Okay. yeah this is yeah so it bears mentioning this is one of those books that um, we are reviewing because we got a uh, a arc uh, review copy of of the book and it was one of the like uh, it, it's one of the ones that's unsolicited so there's often times that we are interested in a book and we ask for a review copy this one is just one that dropped on my doorstep one day and I was like ah oh, Chicago I think I, I think I know a thing or two about Chicago and uh, I recommended it. Um, because of the timeliness of it. It's coming out a week from when we're reviewing this. Um, and just, you know, if we needed a, a spot to read review a book, I thought it would be nice. So,
1: And uh, we did just that. Um, we, we shared a paper book. Um, for listeners who are not aware of how that works, <laughs> essentially I sit on Rob's lap or lovingly peek over his shoulder <laughs> as he turns pages and reads aloud to me. So that's how we... That's yeah. how we can both review the same book um, in, in less than a week.
0: Yeah, that's uh, terrifying. But that's so I'm
1: glad happens. we don't do any of this on video.
0: Yeah. And and so um, what piqued my interest about this was, um, uh, first of all, obviously, like, David Mamet is a big name. Um, so I was familiar with, with, with his name. But, like, obviously, the subject matter of Chicago, Livius and I both being from Chicago, um, thought it would be, you know, I always love... Those stories where when something is mentioned, I've been there and I can actually like see from my own personal experience, like the thing that's being discussed. And so I was hoping for hoping for some of that understanding that it was set in the early 1900s. I wasn't sure how much of that I'd be able to get. But like that's one of the things I was really excited about.
1: Just that. Uh, oh, hell. What was it called? Like the Ace of Spades What was, uh, what was the place <laughs> that peekaboo. Owned? Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. the only place you knew uh, <laughs> you knew of personal experience. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I go there all the time. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: our, uh, our story starts off uh, of, so, so Mike obviously is the protagonist he's mentioned um, in the synopsis. Uh, he has kind of a sidekick, uh, a, a reporter, friend of his. And when I say yeah. sidekick, it, uh, Clement Parlow is his name. He, he's more of a, sidekick's probably not the right word, almost like mentor. I feel like he's the one that Mike got advice from versus like having a side you know what i mean like kind of a guy Mm -hmm. he may have looked up to or at least someone who was senior in their position although they were the same age he seemed to be the one with the more worldly knowledge about him so really the first part of the book just sets up that the two of them um are uh, are veterans of world war one where they spent a lot of time in france and uh uh, that's it kind of gives you lays out the terrain and stuff. But through the course of this, we find out that Mike has taken a liking to Annie, who is uh, someone he met through the course of his work in investigating a story.
0: Yeah. So a lot of the beginning of the book really kind of sets the tone of, of prohibition era Chicago. So um, these guys both write for the Chicago Tribune, which to this day is a paper that exists. And um, <clears throat> back then was probably the most, had the most notoriety. It was probably the big paper of Chicago. Um correct me if I'm wrong. And so uh, to me, they have kind of prestigious, you know, work. Like nowadays you work for the Chicago Tribune, no one gives a damn, but I think back then it meant it meant a little bit more and they were like you know, veterans and everything. So these guys, you know, were were pretty I I don't know. I I kind of took him as like big deals as far as you could be a big deal. in in the press. Um, But yeah, like, it kind of just establishes Prohibition-era Chicago and the way things go and, um, like, slices of, you know, what it was like for them to be in the war plus them being reporters plus, like, introducing to a degree the mob culture of Chicago and explaining kind of how things worked. Like, there wasn't just one mob that kind of controlled the city. There was... The north side people and there was the south side people you know and the there were the, there was the Irish and the Italians yeah yeah so the Irish were the north siders mm-hmm. and the Italians were the south mm-hmm. and so it, it it takes a while for them to kind of establish the tone that's gonna matter for like telling the story so I'd say that the first like what 25 30% is really just kind of getting that but, stuff laid out and then also establishing the love story between Mike and Annie
1: Sure. Yeah. The first, the first 30% of this book is, is solid set up. <laughs> it yeah. takes a long time to really get into it. Yeah. So he, um, he meets Annie because he's, uh, she's the daughter of a flower shop owner and it's the flower shop where like the, like he makes these connections. And that's one of the things that I think Mamet did really well in this book. And we'll talk about it, um, a, a little later, but He's trying to like figure out what's going on with the mob and who's who, and he figures out that um, that they that all these funerals that he's covering and stuff, they all get their flowers from the same place. So he makes this leap that he's gonna start hanging around the flower shop and like befriending the owner and seeing what he can collect. And what winds up happening is he falls pretty hard for the daughter of the flower shop owner.
0: Yeah, the very young daughter. Not very mm-hmm. young, but like it, almost inappropriately young is the way I got it. I don't know if we ever got in a specific age. I don't think we did, but yeah, I mean,
1: he was, you know, she's virginal, and this is the time where you know he really is not a lot. Like he can visit her at the shop, but like right. never really leave the shop, or they can go for a walk, but it's really just around the block kind of um, dating mentality. So she still very much lives with her family at home, um, and and you know it follows those uh, those practices. The those long lost traditions of like propriety in uh in courting. In
0: courtship, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, where there is no uh you know, there's there's no blowjobs in the backseat of a of a car in in this story in the nineteen twenties at least. So uh <laughs> it's uh yeah, so there's a there's a lot of setup in this. And and through the course of that, you know, we meet some other characters. So um, there's Poochie, who's only mentionable because of his name. He's a photographer, so he kind of is uh, along on a lot of these situations with Mike and or um, Parlo, his friend. Um, and, and my favorite character, and I, I think in this whole book, is Peekaboo, who is the uh, an African-American madam at the whorehouse that Mike frequents but doesn't really partake very much of. He yeah. just goes there to hang out with her, which and I thought their relationship <laughs> was super cool. And for me, she was the most interesting character um, in the whole book.
0: Um, yeah, so that kind of like – so that scene and Peekaboo basically like – I, I think we're going to be on the same track about this. Peekaboo is basically like who he goes to confess to, like – Right, like he goes there to unburden himself about what's going on in his life. We're talking about Mike, the protagonist, mm-hmm. and and Peekaboo is just there to, like, as a friend because we get in backstory at some point, kind of like the origin of their their relationship. And he he tr- you know he treated her with more respect than maybe could have been expected mm-hmm. uh, of of people of the time. And so I think their friendship is kind of like established based on that, but like he goes there because he knows he can trust peekaboo to just talk about whatever crazy stuff's going on in his life and it's it's nice it's it's a nice really- yeah it's a really good relationship because like it's not like he takes advantage of her; they just have this kind of like um what's the word I'm looking for like not trust, but you know. Yeah, I mean they're 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 legit friends.
1: Yeah. Like like neither one of them is getting anything from the other one. And the, the way they meet oddly enough is is Parlo wants to go there and Parlo does and he's kind of offensive. <laughs> yep. And he's really really drunk and and Mike goes to apologize for his behavior and then you know they have, they have a conversation regarding um the first black uh pilot, the first black woman pilot. Mhm. Um, who he knows because he was he was a pilot himself and he speaks very highly of it's a um, can't remember a name now.
0: It's it like Bessie something? Yes, uh, I don't, don't remember. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember either. But any anyway, rate, so so their friendship develops out that. But she she offers like sage life advice to him throughout this book, and that's what I'm, this book is is it's a weird weird book because it's really peppered with. Little stories that I don't want to say they're vignettes because they're always a story someone sharing with someone else. But there's always a um, there's always a moral to it or some type of reveal about the mannerisms of people. And she's one of the ones who provides uh, many of those in this in this book and and some of my favorite ones, too.
0: For sure. Yeah. The peekaboo character really, really one of the probably one of the best characters in the book. Um, Something I want to point out uh, is this book, you could very easily mistake it for being a mob book because the mob comes up even in the, in the synopsis, but I don't really see it that way. What do you, what about you? Um,
1: No, I I don't, I don't see it that way either. Um, Um, it, It, it really, for me is, is more of a, like a tutorial on investigative journalism. Yeah. But but with some really, like, kind of... I, I don't know if they're out there. Maybe this is how it works. But it's making odd connections. And it's pointed out numerous times there are these little... Like I so said, these little asides, you know, where someone tells a story. And it becomes, like, an exercise. Like, okay, so we have all this information, all this information. But what what what's the one thing that nobody's looked at? You know, and yeah. then you find out that because nobody... Asked about the guy who called it in, that he's the one who, you know, is somehow the catalyst. Yeah, I'm just trying to give an example of, of, you know. So from that standpoint, I really liked it. But yeah, it it honestly has very little to do with the mob. It has very little to do as a mystery story. I mean, that's really kind of how I felt it was built, too. And it's really not a traditional mystery kind of
0: no, it's more like a slice of life kind of thing. I, mm-hmm. I would see it as, but like, so the way that the mob is is incorporated, I thought was actually pretty good, It actually ties into what you were saying. Um, there are some murders that happen, and um, that's what kind of causes Mike to go to the funeral, which then he kind of picks up on the the florist thing that Livius mentioned. So, really, the entire activity of the mob. Um, at least in the first half to two-thirds of the book, is as the catalyst for action uh, of, of the protagonists. And so, like, the a club owner named Jackie Weiss gets murdered, and that's the first, I think, funeral we see. And then, like, later on, we're introduced to some characters that were associated with Jackie Weiss, but we really got a lot of information about that. And then later on, when we're introduced to another person who is associated with Jackie, we figure out what happened to the people that we were introduced to before. So, like, it was, like, all the action and mob-related stuff really is just, like, things that push the plot forward. Um, But they aren't really the plot itself, which I thought was great because the mobbed-up Chicago during Prohibition Era is a great backdrop for, like what ends up being kind of a love slash revenge story. Um, So I like the way they use the mob.
1: Yeah. All the mob stuff is kind of behind the scenes, right? Like you don't actually witness anything that happens mob related. I mean, save for a couple of little things, but yeah, all of it happens off camera, so to speak. And you find out about it, um, you know, through Mike's eyes, mostly. Uh, Other than backstory that he, you know, uh, elicits from people that he's kind of um, because he's not interrogating him, he's you know through the course of his investigation, people he's asking for information. So, um, as mentioned in the synopsis, Annie is killed, and really the 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 last third of the book is is Mike's um, search to find out how he caused this girl to die. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll go into it now. I didn't like it as a story. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah. I oh. thought the story was really weak. Well, we're going to um, have to do some spoiler talk then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we will. I, I thought the story was a little weak. That does not mean this did not have its upsides. But we're done with story, right? That's pretty much all we're going to say regarding the story.
0: Yeah. I think if we go much further, we're going right. to spoil okay. it. Yeah. But you you got some plot or some.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got s- some stuff. Style talk. <laughs> uh-uh. Rob predicted with some accuracy that I would not like a lot of the dialogue. And I, I, am very split on the dialogue and I'm going to try to explain to you why, and this is going to be a lengthier explanation.
0: I I pretty much, I think I can predict what you're going to say about this too. This
1: reminds me a lot of Andrew Vax, who for many, many years was one of my favorite um, writers and he wrote a lot of crime stuff. Oddly enough, he's also from Chicago he wrote a lot of crime stuff and a lot of really dirty, nasty underground crime stuff like, you know, sex trafficking and heroin use. You know what I mean? So like not your standard like B&E, you know, like the breaking grit. and entering type crimes. Yeah, very, very gritty. And he had this way of dialogue between his characters, which I don't know. I've never been around a lot of people <laughs> that are into like underground crime stuff. But it was seemed very authentic which I really liked, but also felt um, like it was really hard to follow sometimes. Like I felt, and I'm not going to transfer back to this book. There were times where, you know, you'd get a, a couple, uh, you know, uh, Parlo's talking to some cops and like, I yeah. understood the words, but the way <laughs> the dialogue was delivered felt authentic. Like they both have this knowledge and to them they're probably making perfect sense. But to me as an outsider, I I struggled to follow the stories. Yeah. So I, I like it in its authenticity, but it can sometimes be tough as a reader to to really stand. I'm, there's a couple stories and there I'm pretty sure I have no fucking idea what actually transpired as they, as they're telling the story of this other crime that they investigated for whatever. I'm like, I don't know, no, I understand all the words, but the 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 way they're describing things, I'm just not getting it. So I, I struggle with that. but I also at the same time, I felt like it lent an authenticity to the
0: storytelling. So I'm kind of up in the air about how I actually feel about any of that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I thought you were gonna say. and i I, I suffered from the same thing. So like, and it's weird because, and it has to be intentional because, there were parts of the book that I just tore through, um, mostly when it was non-dialogue, when it was just like straight up, boom, like this is you know, the you know. Yeah, when you're in Mike's head, it's you know, really you know, easy to follow. Right when it's dialogue, especially with like, oh, here comes Parlo again. He's going to say something I don't understand. I can't tell you how many times I was like, ah, oh, just fucking get to the point. And it's and it's gotta be my thought on this is had we not been following two characters who are writers it would have been entirely different dialogue like if it was two, two mobsters or two police officers uh for the most part i think it would have been easier to follow um but because it was two writers um in the early 1900s the only thing that they have to go off of like the stuff that they they loved that they fell in love with the written word for was like stuff from the eight like 1800s i'm guessing which has got to be like really just dense and and weird like british shit that like no one understands
1: well and even sentence structure Mm -hmm. like i I wish i would it's a paper so if not i'd have some highlighted like examples (laughs) even the structure of some of the sentences and you could tell they were written to be very conversational yeah but when you're reading them didn't play that way So if you saw that and maybe this is a little bit of tribute to the fact that his fame really comes from being a playwright.
0: That's what I was. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) Like, if this was a play or if this was done cinematically, it it's it's meant to be spoken out loud instead of read. Is that kind of Uh what you're. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't occur to me until just now. But yeah, I was it was I don't know. It was weird. Uh, One day, if we do a throwback (laughs) episode, I'd love to introduce you to some Andrew Vax. And I think I think. You'd love the stories, but I think you might struggle a little bit with uh, with the same type of thing on a different on a different scale, a different level.
0: Now, all that being said, there were some really, really clever uh, things that were that were written. There was some really funny moments, um, really insightful moments. So like when we weren't getting bogged down by Clement Parlow talking like he was some dandy from the 1800s. Like there were some really cool things. Like there were moments where I was like, man, that was well written, like multiple and consistently throughout the book. So mm-hmm. um, it's not that the entire book is is kind of sluggish and and difficult to understand. Just parts of it. and and other parts are just like super fast, good action, good back and forth dialogue, and like really clever, intelligent, funny stuff. So um it, it's not a surprise that this guy's got a Pulitzer. Because it's obvious that he's got really good writing jobs.
1: Yes, with that, I would agree. And then for me, the overall story, as I kind of mentioned, I'll just kind of sum this up now instead of in my uh, wrap-up for the readers, I just felt like I've read better investigative stories. It almost felt like the overall story was an excuse to tell the little stories.
0: See, and I looked at it almost entirely separately, like uh, almost the opposite way. Um, I looked at it as like, they were there was like this little story that popped up here was set up and this little story here was set up and this little story and so there's like all these little packages of setup and it's only when you like the whole picture is revealed that you see how it all like you know what i'm saying ties together
1: oh so. no 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 i no i i understand what you're saying i'm talking about where they start talking about like the sergeant they had back in France, oh, gotcha. you know, and then there's yeah, some yeah. like like cute little story about how they came up with this particular saying that they all used in that in that division or or whatever you call, it. you know what I mean? Sure. But like he had, there's probably if I had to guess, fifteen or twenty of those spread out through three hundred
0: and twenty pages. Yeah, those little wistful memories. Yeah,
1: and and they're endearing, and like sometimes they're just insight into how people think and how people operate. Sometimes they're like. Um, Like, like there's just a, a thing in there about like how you open a safe if you're a safe cracker. Yeah. Like, like or how to get how to get more likely get away with something stolen from a safe. It was just like this great little little piece, and it was like a page long, and it was a lot of fun. Um, it, but didn't really tie into the bigger story in sure. any way. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And like, yeah, they were some of them were good, some of them weren't. Yeah, and some of them were quick. That you you talking about that reminded me of how Mike, I think, at one point in the book um had not revealed to someone he was talking to that he was a veteran and how and like it was this young kid who was all about like oh we'll never know what we missed and it was Mm -hmm. like having heard all of his other stories you understand exactly how like clueless that kid is it was it was a cool yeah but like so yeah um but i yeah i can see what you're saying Mm -hmm. yeah i guess we're gonna go off into spoiler talk is that what we're talking about? Um, I think we're going to do some spoilers, yeah. I think we should. All right. We'll be
1: back uh, shortly after uh, Patreon listeners get to listen to our spoiler talk.
0: Hey, uh, we are now back almost instantaneously, like magic, uh, from Spoiler Talk. We didn't talk much. There wasn't a lot, but there were just like a couple of key elements that I think we needed to get down. So There
1: was great information shared over on Spoiler Talk that if you're not a Patreon subscriber, you are not eligible to get. So... If you love this podcast, or only if you only like it a little bit, consider going to patreon.com slash booked and donating. Uh, just you know what? I'm gonna say at least a dollar a month. Just donate a dollar a month. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, just the dollar. Just a buck. You'll get and, to hear spoiler talk and you'll get to have our our appreciation.
0: I want to point out it's it's we can do this now because we've been doing the spoiler talk shoot, like a year now. There's a lot of spoiler talks that you can go back and listen to now. Like you're not just getting a spoiler talk for Chicago. You're, you're getting probably a several dozen, uh, spoiler talks by this point, at least like, well, what did we do last year? Like 18. You're probably, <laughs> <laughs> you're probably getting 20 ish. <laughs> yeah. So there's plenty of stuff to go back and listen to. And it's some really good content. Like we really do kind of change it up when we're talking spoilers. So stick it out.
1: All right, I'm going to head into my wrap-up yes. of Chicago by David Mamet. Um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to, to rate. I, was, I finished it earlier today, so I've, I've had I don't know, seven hours with this under my belt to think about it. And it's tough because there are elements I really liked, and then there were things I didn't really didn't like. So uh, I'm going to do kind of a good-bad. Um, here's what's, uh, We'll start with the bad. Here's what's bad about this book. The overall story did nothing for me. Um, it came up in spoiler talk that maybe I don't respect uh, the process of investigative journalism because I think it's just boring. Um, uh, I was hoping for a little bit more discovery on the, on the part of the protagonist in, in the way that you would in a, in a decent detective novel or, or something. And I know this isn't what this is. So maybe it's my expectation that, that needed to be changed. But overall, I, I just, I didn't find the overall story, uh, terribly engaging, that being said, the slice-of-life 1920 Chicago stuff was a lot of fun. Um, I really liked the little asides and the little, you know, almost vignette stories that, that were spread throughout the book. And, and I really liked a couple of the characters. I really liked Parlo, even if I didn't understand half of what he was trying to say. I felt like he was my kind of guy. Um, I really liked Peekaboo, the the madam at the, uh, the Ace of Spades, the only uh, location in this book that Rob has ever been to. Uh, you know, and, and the writing was, was done well. There's this language thing that this, I don't even know if language is the right word. There's, there's like this systematic talk. I don't even know what the right word is. It's like how you would talk to, it's like the difference between when I talked to Rob and the way I talk to my boss. And it happened throughout the book and it lent itself, uh, to be very authentic, but hard to follow at times. Um, But still, you know, kind of enjoyable, even if I feel like I may have missed out on some stuff. But so I've got like the overall book. I I didn't care for the overall story, but there's these little things that I really, really liked. So if I blend them all together, I'm going to go three and a half stars on this one.
0: That's higher than I expected you to go. I was uh, busy searching for Ace of Spades (laughs) on Google while you were talking about your review. Your uh, when you were giving your your wrap up, so that's what I was up to. Nothing conclusive yet, but I did find one that says Ace of Spade escorts. So I'm going to be doing some um, investigating, some journalistic investigation, <laughs> investigative journalism on that one. You're going to have to talk to Trixie. I'm going to I'll talk to Trixie. I'm putting put the hours on that. Um, <clears throat> all right. So ha- having never read anything by Mamet before, but seeing you know some of the the, the movies, I've seen Untouchables. Also Chicago's nineteen early nineteen hundreds, right? Capone time. Glengarry Glen Ross, I think I saw once, but it was like a long time ago. Didn't know what to expect from a novel for, for, for this this gentleman, but was excited again for that like and I didn't really go into it during the review, but like that that touch of, of something I've seen. Uh and, and one of, and early on in the book it paid off like right away because um they were at this gun club or some kind of club. What kind of club was it, Livius? Like uh where they were hunting it was a hunting club I don't know
1: yeah I think so. yeah some yeah something like that
0: but it was on the Fox River mm-hmm. and I, I could be at if you if you challenged me right now I could be <laughs> at the Fox River in under 20 minutes so it's like something that I grew up near and, and there was a lot of that like familiarity um, to to where I grew up around not just with Chicago proper but the surrounding area so um, I was excited about that and that paid off pretty well throughout the book, um, even with like locations in the city and stuff. The story, the only real downside for me was the confusing parts based on um, dialogue, particularly from Clement to Parlo, but then also from random characters here and there. It was just a little bit murky for me, and I know that that was an intentional um, kind of stylistic choice, but it did slow me down a little bit. Otherwise, um, I like the way the story was plotted out. And I liked the pace of of the inv- investigation and everything and, and those little like uh, throwbacks along the way to the war and stuff like that. Just kind of added character, put a little meat on the bones. So I was along for the ride the whole way. I thought it was a really good, well done story. And it, uh, again, kind of advertises itself as mob, but it's not. I mean, it's got mob in it, but, you know, it's just, like I said before, it's like, like a set, like a backdropping. It's not the, the main part of the book. Um, but the story was good. Love story was a little bit lacking for me. It was more of just like a guy who got revenge. It was more of a revenge story that we didn't really feel the love part. Like, he was just kind of creeping on some girl. And eventually she got killed, and so I didn't really feel much from that part of it. I didn't feel his need for vengeance, so that was a little bit lacking for me. Overall, I liked pretty much everything from the story, and I got a top oblivious because I, I feel like I liked it more than he did. What'd you do, three and a half? Yes. Yeah, let's do four. Four stars.
1: There you have it, Chicago, <laughs> by David Mamet. Um, that's available in just a couple of days. so you'll be able to pick that up on the twenty seventh I believe. Yeah. so uh, if you're listening to this fresh off uh, hot off the presses, you'll be able to uh, to pick that up in a couple of days. You know what it was interesting I, I liked um because this has been coming up a lot in in you know real life and in, in the world, right? So the Tribune back then and, and you know a, a was uh, you had mentioned it, but it was the only source of news. I mean, there wasn't television, yeah. Any news you got was either word of mouth or through a newspaper And the Chicago Tribune, I, I believe, is still the biggest newspaper in Chicago. Yeah, um, was at the time. But these guys like reported facts and there was a lot of that. There was a few scenes where they were with their editor, maybe. Yeah, where, where the guy was given of like he was even telling him, like, I don't care if you're trying to write, you know, the next great American novel like you tell me what happened. We don't care. What is he? Oh, he said something. He's like, we don't care if the blood spilled down to the road like flowers or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> it was all like, like just the facts, kind of reporting. So it's interesting to see that because we have less and less of that nowadays. Oh, Everything yeah. is an editorial, yeah. regardless of how you know it's built. So uh, it was, it was nice to see what uh, what news reporting could be and was um,
0: previously. Yeah, and obviously there was like the darker side of it, like, but yeah. They, i think nowadays it's like um whether there's a story or not you write it whereas back then there had to be a story to write first i think that's kind of if that makes any sense at all yeah like we can make a story out of nothing nowadays um mm-hmm. like uh you know could Libius be a serial killer and then i'd write a story about could live Liby- you know like what if livius was a serial killer and it's totally flight of fancy there's no truth to it whereas Mm -hmm. back then well (laughs) oh i'm sorry go ahead just go ahead (laughs) oh no i have to get into some investigative journalism now uh you know what i'm saying you 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 get where i'm going with that (laughs) no 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 i do yep (laughs) so did you like the (sighs) chicago stuff at least did you feel like oh man i've been there oh i know that place
1: um yeah i i did I did. I mean, a lot. Of, I actually googled a couple of the addresses. Yeah. <laughs> so I googled, I think it was the address to the flower shop, and it's very clearly just like a bungalow home right now. You yeah. know, like yeah. so. It's kind of a uh, kind of weird. I did not look up the um, whorehouse. I don't know if that was actually legit or not. I'm gonna assume no. But at the end of the story, um, it, it they had actually said that it got shut down and um, Peekaboo left town.
0: Yeah. Um. So, but they mentioned this...
1: story. Read Peekaboo story. Yeah.
0: Oh, can you can you imagine the follow up to this book just called Peekaboo? Oh, and it's already got a great title. Yeah, Poochie might make an appearance. <laughs> um, they mentioned the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre, right? They did very happened, early on. Yes. Yeah, yep. happened during the book, I think, right?
1: Yes, uh, maybe right before the book. I think that's kind of how they kind of established Al Capone
0: yeah, as a the, as a person. Yeah, the yeah 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 exactly. Or like the rivalry between him and the Irish or whatever. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. I was
1: on a I was on a ghost tour, right there by the Biograph Theater. Yeah, where uh, we we walked down that alleyway where the um, Valentine's Day massacre happened.
0: Out in Lincoln Park. Yep. Yeah. Um, how much do you care about mob stuff?
1: Um, not, you know, I <laughs> used to care more when I was a lot younger. Um, not not so much anymore.
0: Do you think there's, like, a place in modern history or modern times for, like, the romantic, like, war, not war, mob kind of stories and stuff? Like, everybody kind of thought it was so cool, like Sopranos and shit like that?
1: I, I mean, the Sopranos are great. I mean, I love the TV show. Um, I, I think that, and I think the Sopranos touched on that a little bit, is that I don't know that there is a legitimate mob anymore. Yeah. And the saddest part about that, and I've had this discussion with other people, is that and, 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 you know, and this is not I'm not talking up the mob. I'm, I'm romanticizing it like the movies did and stuff. I don't think obviously organized crime is a great thing, but it's like they had <laughs> a set of values and they had a set of rules and they really had power and controlled everything. And that really what ran them out was like fucking like punk street gangs. No, like they just couldn't compete with the numbers, <laughs> you know, that that a, a shitty little street gang of, of basically teenagers and 20 somethings could do. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you watch those, if you go back and you watch The Godfather and stuff like that, like there there were rules and there were certain ways they did things that that, that there was like, I don't know, there was a there was a code. Um, so I think that's when people like mob stuff. I think that's really what's being romanticized is that there was a although it was all shitty and it was all violent and crimey, like there was a rhyme or reason to it. Like there yes. was there was so. you know, the. The code is is what I think people romanticize, and in a time when I was far more, I was ever like into the mob, but at the time I enjoyed that stuff more. I think that's what really I found most fascinating
0: about it. Yeah, because like they and and I haven't I I, I have a thought about that. Um, I've done a little reading here and there, but I'm by far no expert. But like, um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that like they they were they were shitting where they ate. You know what I mean? Like they were committing crimes where they lived. And so like while they, they, you know, they wanted to get, you know, the, the criminal aspect going on because, you know, they wanted money and power or whatever. They also wanted to use their influence to maintain a standard of living for their neighborhood or whatever it happened to be. I feel like there was a lot of, a lot of the good that people could say came out of like any kind of organized crime back in the day was like, You know, because they – it comes down to, like, if you're a mob boss and, you know, the neighborhood is going to shit and there's crime everywhere and you've got a kid, what kind of environment do you want your kid to to live in? So that's why there was, like, you know, pasteurized milk in schools or whatever. Like, you know, they they established a certain level of living because it was their family. It was their cousins, their kids, and all that kind of stuff that were, like, living there as well. So (laughs) –
1: yeah, I, and I think some of that had to do with the fact, and, and maybe this is also probably adds to the romantic aspect of it, is um, they were essentially like like the tyrannical king archetype, right? So, yes, yeah. they controlled all the crime, but they, like you said, they could um, dispense justice in the neighborhood. So, right, they could in, get in things your, done. Yeah, in your typical, like, mob movie, it's a back to The Godfather, right? Like, the guy comes and asks for a favor because he yeah. has this problem. And who can solve this problem? The ruler, the king of the neighborhood, right? Yep. But the king of the neighborhood is is tyrannical too. I mean, he doesn't he dispenses justice by force,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you know. But he, yeah, like like you said, they they wanted to kind of you said they shit where they they eat, but they also tried to keep that place as clean as possible, yeah. um, with the exception of the shit that they had going on. And I think the mob, and, and again, I'm no historian either, but it seems like they had started off with. Um, like business purposes. You know what I mean? So they they ran like gambling and maybe prostitution, but then they did things like they smuggled, you know, booze in or they unloaded hot, you know, TVs or, or whatever the situation was. But then it got to be drugs and, and all kinds of other shit. And we know where there's drugs, at least, you know, illicit serious drugs like that, you know, that begets violence. And then it gets right. uglier and uglier. So until so, like I said, I think they were just wiped out by a bunch of punk kids, essentially, which is, you know, kind of kind of sad to see that, that uh, you know, somewhat of a monarchy, uh, as bad as it might have been, could just be wiped out by your everyday, you know, dumb punk Little with a chance, gun. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, and that yeah, Um, and the problem is like the foothold kind of crimes. And I am no, I am no expert. I'm just talking out of my ass. So please, nobody take whatever I'm saying seriously. There's like the little foothold crimes that they probably started out with. Like one of the things I read that I thought was so clever, but also such a dick move, is like, um, and this is an actual example from like Chicago in the early 1900s. Like, if someone owned a garage, they'd want, you know, someone to park their cars in the garage. But if people weren't because there was free parking on the street, you know, they'd pay someone to go out and just smash all the windows in the cars so that people would want to park in the garage because it's safer.
1: Yeah, there's some industrious motherfuckers right there, man. And
0: that's yeah, but that's like that's like a that's a low risk kind of crime, but it's also Mm. low reward. You're not making a ton of money off of a parking garage. But, like, if you sell 30 pounds of heroin or whatever, yeah, the turnaround on money is so much higher, but there's mm-hmm. so much more risk and so much more damage from it. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yep. And mom, I, just, I just work for retail, so there's <laughs> yeah, no crime there. I, um,
1: I remember there was a tire shop in, in my neighborhood where I grew up in, in Chicago on, on the north side. Um, and, and people in the neighborhood would say that they would actually, that the tire shop would go around, like throw nails down like in yeah. the alleys and stuff just to, to drum up business. I, <laughs> that's, that reminded me of, so maybe those guys were all mobbed up and they were, they were just like really up. low level, not very successful mobsters. Cause <laughs> all they want to do is patch your tire for eight bucks or whatever it was at the time.
0: So. But there could have been some like simpatico. So if you think about it, you're a legit tire company owner. Um, you know, the mob people they want to use your, your business as a front to launder money and they want to drum up legit business for you so like you kind of get some of, uh, out of each other I don't know that as, happen.
1: As, uh, as late as 1989 I would say so probably my you know going into my last year of high school um, I had a, a, a friend uh, a, 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 I was going to say a woman, a, a girl that I was good friends with one of the guys she was dating, um, she had told me that, that his um, his father and his grandfather at that time were still pretty established like mob guys. Now, yeah. I don't know how much that was him blowing smoke up her ass or, or whatever. And that was like right in, right in my neighborhood in Albany Park. Like they lived there. I mean, the kid went to high school with us. Yeah. So um yeah yeah I, I don't know if there's any truth to that but it could be that as late as the 90s I mean if you believe the Sopranos right oh, no, that was yeah, the yeah. 2000s so that there was still some some mob action going down uh, on the east coast at least
0: Now that so without going too deeply into how or why or how much I actually like valid validly have knowledge of stuff like in the in the suburbs of Chicago uh up until like I was in like my teens there was an established like mob presence in the town I grew up in. So yeah, they were still around, but I, I really don't think that now much that, of that's left.
1: Now that you mention that, I will, I will go into some detail. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> near, um, on Harlem Avenue, like south of, of Irving park. So south of the Harlem Irving Plaza, the hip? Uh, I'm, I'm saying this for Rob's benefit because he would know <laughs> where this is. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine and I, when I was going to Columbia college in Chicago, we're out uh, just hanging out on Harlem Avenue one night and we stopped in a place to use the restroom and it was a coffee shop. We said, Oh, we'll we'll stop. We'll get a cup of coffee. And it was, it was like your, your classic like cappuccino type coffee shop, right? with like the little like deli counter that had Mm -hmm. all the pastries in it and stuff. So we, we pull over and we go in there and we order some coffee and, and we ask for the restroom. And the guy says, yeah, go straight through the door and just walk all the way, but to the back. So go and you could hear the the murmur of people, but yeah. there weren't people <laughs> in the shop. And we yeah. go, we open this back door to go to the bathroom and their back room is like eight times the size of the little coffee shop. And there are nothing but tables and guys playing cards back there. Yeah. yeah. So I have to imagine, I mean, we had talked about it then that that had to be some type of kind of mob, you know, mini mob casino of some sort that was, that was going on there. But they, they weren't worried about two kids. I mean, you know, we were whatever, 20 at the time. Kind of walking back there to use the washroom, like they 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 weren't really trying to hide it so much, like, you know. But it was, yeah. yeah I remember thinking then, like, oh, mob's still strong in Norwich.
0: So. <laughs> Good old Norwich. Yep. Um, yeah, there was. Uh, I don't know how much, and, and I don't know how much. I'll, I'll give you this one little tidbit. So you're familiar with Island Lake and as much as you live nearby.
1: I, I've driven. I drove through it today. Yes. So.
0: So that's the town I grew up in, and the story I heard as, like, a young youngster, like a teenager or whatever, was there was this one pizza place, of course it's the pizza place, um, that uh, was, like, the pizza place uh, in Island Lake forever. And um, it, and at one point it changed ownership or, you know, turned over or whatever, and, like, in, in talking about the old place, I had heard the story that... Um, that there was like a back room for gambling, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and it was connected with, there was a liquor store next door and a bowling alley right behind it. And those three places were all owned by the same, um, the same guy. And, uh, and there was like this whole, the whole operation was like using those three locations for like some of their, their dirty business. But the, the, the gambling, the backroom gambling thing is definitely something that I heard about from, from there. And if you ever look up the the place the pizza place was called Sally D's. I don't know if you ever heard of that.
1: I did not, but that'll that name alone is evidence of mob action.
0: So yeah. <laughs> um I wonder so like if you search if you start searching Sally D's it's S O L L Y it comes up with Salvatore Sally Sally D DiLorentis. Uh <laughs> the first hit is About the mafia. So, like, this guy was totally mobbed up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff's real. I don't know if, like... I don't know if every area of the country had their own little, like, organized crime. But definitely where we grew up, it was there.
1: The New York Times, just a quick Google search. um, An article from 2016 called The Mob Today. And I just kind of skimmed this a little bit. Mm -hmm. But it pretty much says that the the mob was decimated in the 80s when really the, you know, essentially the FBI and police just kind of really really crank crank down on them, but um, they're, they're still around, and they were pushed out of politics and unions. New York's Mafia is now dealing more in sport betting and credit card fraud, yeah. according to some expert. So, uh, there you go. Credit card fraud and sports betting because sports betting is, uh, I mean, you could do that online now, or at least you were able to years ago, I'd play some bets online for, for sporting events, so I don't know how easy that is to do for live action like in person sports betting
0: don't they have like fan duel and stuff like that isn't that just a thing oh no that's for like fantasy football and things like that yeah i don't know that's how much i know about
1: sports sports and betting in the same sentence confused rob like rob's like it might as well be speaking (laughs) greek to him so (laughs) um yeah i'm not opposed to reading another mob book if one comes up like i don't you know yeah
0: I will make one recommendation. Um, Mm -hmm. If anybody is interested in getting a historical um, kind of approach of the Chicago mob, there is a very hefty 500-page book written by a guy named Gus Russo called The Outfit, The Role of Chicago's Underworld in the Shaping of Modern America. I read it maybe a decade ago, and um, it's really kind of a dry historical account of like, pretty much anything that you'd want to know about. But it's blow by blow, like, you know, like, this person met this, and then and this happened, and this happened, and, like, this is where they hit a body and, like, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's a really in-depth look at Chicago mob and no investigative journalism at all. <laughs> That's... I don't know what I'm going to take up your recommendation. <laughs> no, no, no. It's there, though, if you ever need it. I would use it as a reference piece, like oh you know i need to know about so-and-so go to the glossary find where their page is i would use it like that
1: next week queen of the struggle by nick corpin that's going to be our uh, our next review anything else you want to mention
0: before we uh, we get out of here no that's all, that's all i got that's all i got
1: all right so until then um thanks for listening i'm Livia Snedden.
0: and i'm rob olson keep reading